This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, uh, as well as, as you can be. This is my third podcast recording of the day, so I, I keep catching <laughs> you after these long sprints of podcasting, and I, I feel like I really get my groove yep. on when we when we finally sit down. Or, or your energy is tapped. <laughs> or I've got nothing, and I'm like, uh, what else is new? Do you feel like one of those, um, you know, like those talk radio guys, most of them, I can't stand listening to, but you've got to give them credit for like, they just basically, especially ones with that don't have like a co-host, they just fill airtime for three hours and yep. just keep talking and talking and talking. Like, how do you possibly do that? I'm like mentally and, and my voice is exhausted every time we do this, like at the end of one. I, I feel like I've got a leg up on you just because of my theater training, mm. but no, I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have that. Then again, I've never really sat down and just talked and talked and talked for a product before. Um, I've, I've usually got somebody to bounce off of. Sure. So, uh, I think I've done a couple very short podcast episodes. That's just me. And that always feels a little weird. And I do feel like I'm turning it on a little bit being like, yeah. all right. And next. Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I get that, but, uh, why don't we why don't we jump in? Uh, let's let's do some some house cleaning to start with. We'll we'll talk about some internal things and then we'll move on to some COVID information and then also an update on the Fred and Fuzzy story from last week as well. Not that anybody's interested in Fred and Fuzzies. Well, uh, it, it seems like uh, that was kind of all the rage last week in terms of, of the discussion. And, and we'll talk about how things turned out and where we're at now. And it was pretty surprising. So I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing your opinion on that. But nice teaser. Yeah, before we jump into that, let's talk uh, on the Pulse side of stuff. So uh, if you've been on our Facebook page recently, uh, you might have noticed a pinned post up at the top talking about uh, a difficult decision that we made to stop posting our news articles to social media. So we're still posting stuff every day on Facebook. Uh, we're just not posting our like news stuff specifically. And there's there's a couple different reasons why we've decided to go that direction. Miles, you wrote about the decision to 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 go in this direction. Uh, tell me kind of why we've decided not to post our news on social media and also what kind of led you up to making that decision. Well, it's um it's something I've been thinking about for several months and I am somebody who has always been a big proponent of social media, anything to have more communication and engagement with with readers and in general. I was, um, at least for Door County, a somewhat early adopter of Twitter because I thought it was such a cool way to um, just reach different audiences. And I still feel Facebook does that to some degree, but then there's trade-offs. And so what has happened now, and you know, it's kind of a reflection of our national discourse on all topics, but... I mean, it's almost to the point where you can't post a picture of a beautiful sunset without somebody just coming in there with negativity and trying to detract from it. Um, and especially with news articles now. And one of the biggest frustrations for me is to see something posted and then just see people respond either to the headline or a photo or just respond with some crass remark that really has nothing to do with the article, but it's just like people using it as a platform to spew their opinion. And I don't mind the opinion so much as I mind the opinion not based on what we're actually talking about in the article or or ignoring facts that are in the article and then like like 
taking the conversations on social media in a in a non-fact-based direction. <laughs> right, because it would be one thing if people clicked on the article, read through it, then came back and commented and had discussions in a civil manner, right? Even if they agree with or disagree with something that's going on in the article, having a civil discussion about it after reading it would be great, but that it just doesn't seem like it's what happens the majority of the time. It's people responding right off the bat to just a couple of words in the headline before even digging into the article at all. And beyond that, it's it's not just about dissecting the news or having a conversation in the community. It's it's more and more frequently about being as aggressive as possible yeah. and, and throwing out as many hateful words as you can uh, because things aren't just about like, hey, this is something that's happening in the community. It's like this is a political issue. And because I'm on one side of the fence or the other, the other side not only is wrong, but is also bad. And here's a bunch of crap about it. Right. And so many of these people would never say that in person to these other people. Um, there's just a lack of respect for each other that's taken place there. and. You know, it's one of our goals. Dave and I have talked about this all the time. Our our goal is to drive conversation. And even when we're doing news articles, it's not so much about, hey, this thing happened. It's trying to find a little interpretation of why people came to certain decisions. And when we're at our best, it's coming up with ideas or solutions to problems, not just here's a problem, but this problem exists. What can we do as a community to fix it? Let's have this conversation. Let's solicit ideas. Um, that's what we like to think we're all about. Like it doesn't always happen that way, but that's when we're at our best, that's what we strive to do. And Facebook, a lot of these people are not in that boat. And what happens, that doesn't to say that, that's not to say that like if, if there's 5,000 people who see something, there might be 4,800 of them who are thinking that way. They're not commenting because once you see somebody start to blast a Facebook comment thread with like that, that negativity and that just trying to slam everybody's opinion, then it scares other people from commenting because they're like, I just don't want to go down the rabbit hole with this guy or this woman and and just have this other conversation. They're like, I want to talk to this person who's having a good dialogue and has some good ideas, or maybe I disagree with this person, but they seem reasonable. But then the people who aren't reasonable just make you like, I don't want to be part of this conversation. Like, I want to have an intelligent discourse. And that's not what's happening right now. And it's like people can do that on their page all they want. But I, we basically said, like, let's put a pause on this. And at least at the Pulse, our Facebook page doesn't have to be the platform for this to take place. Um, and the other part of it is it's time consuming because when our page does become that platform, we have we don't own Facebook, but we do bear some responsibility for moderating that page. A couple of years ago, we st- stopped allowing comments on our website because we had to moderate those. And it was taking a couple hours of staff time each week to try and decipher what crossed the line and what didn't and where we needed to correct facts. And I found myself doing that same thing on Facebook a lot just because I don't want you're, you're trying to make the conversation not get um, kind of hijacked by people who aren't putting it who don't know the facts, especially when the facts are in the article they're commenting on. Right. So I've gone in a lot of times and either had to hide or delete comments or block users. And or um, some, sometimes I have to stop myself because my knee jerk is to get frustrated and say something crass myself. But I'm like, I want to be better than that in my comments. But 
sometimes when people would post something, I'd, I'd want to say it's in the article, just read the article. <laughs> so, right. well, um, and, and moderation is such a tricky subject, especially for a media organization like us, because if you have somebody in the comments who's posting like something that's obviously trolling or hateful or derogatory, if you block them, they're not going to go, Oh, you're right. That was my bad. I'm sorry. They're going to double down and be like, now we've got the media censoring people. And it, exactly. It just becomes this big snowball effect. So a decision like, this is probably the right one uh, because the other end of it is is more strict enforcing of our moderation and deleting comments and that kind of stuff but it's just it's dicey and it takes staff time like you said and it's unfortunate uh, because a lot of people rely on the, the daily news coming through their Facebook feed from us uh, it, it when it works well it is a great place for discussion on stuff mm-hmm. so it it's unfortunate and there are a lot, there are drawbacks to it. Um, but I think that if the goal is to have better conversations, then this is probably the way to go for right now. Yeah, especially in this era. Um, and it got especially bad regarding um, everything surrounding COVID and Black Lives Matter and the protests and then the election. And I mean, may, we may change as it goes forward, but I'm I don't know. I've really enjoyed not spending that time. Like I myself found myself not wanting to look at our own Facebook page. And and if that's who the heck wants to to feel that way about their own product. Right. Um, and it, it costs us website traffic for sure. But it also has led to a lot of people saying, you know what, I value what you do. I'm going to get it a different way. So we've had people come to us more from other venues or whether it be signing up for emails or just going directly to our homepage, which is great to see. Um, Maybe it leads to more people opening the pages of the print edition, which hopefully will open their eyes to other stuff they weren't even looking for. Um, maybe that's my old newspaper fandom in there. But the there are other ways. It's not like a pure social media blackout. We, Twitter, I found, is less toxic right now. Maybe that'll change. Um, but the the Facebook conversation is just when you add up the time, the you know, and it's several hours a week and on bad weeks it can be eight to ten hours and there's the conversations in in this office where people ask hey should we block this or is this something i should delete or hey you should really check out what's going on there's this thread going and you know some people might be getting out of hand that like takes time and every time every hour i'm spending on there i could be making four calls to actual sources to get people more information and more facts rather than moderating a platform that's that is an avenue for people to spew non-facts. So, right. um, you know, it's it's not ideal, but for now, it's good. It allows me and other people in the office to do more actual journalism and working. And it has saved me a lot of ne- negative negativity in my own head. And the worst part was it colors my perception of my own community. You know, I, I love Door County. I love almost all the people here. I respect almost all the people here for what they're trying to do every day. Like I always felt this way in Chicago too, but like 99.9% of people are just trying to figure out how to put food on the table every day, how they're going to pay their bills, how to raise their kids and get through the next day. And we spend so much time on that other 0.1% that drag us into negative conversations and um, waste our time. <laughs> and we start to, it colors our impression of all those other people yeah. that are doing good things and, and working for the community every day. Yeah, that's a good point because the vast majority of people who scroll through our Facebook content don't comment at all, might not even hit the like button. The majority of people who do engage with it and comment and 
comment on it usually have good things to say. It's a very, very small amount of people who who bring negativity constantly. And it yeah. is a constant thing. It's you see the same names coming up over and over again. So the the fact that you you look at these things and you're like, man, people are so angry. But it's not necessarily that people are angry. It's it's some people are angry, yeah. but they're very vocal about and it. And then they're bringing the anger out of the other people. Right. That weren't angry to begin with or that that were reasonable to begin with. Right. So it's it it colors your perception, but it colors it uh, falsely yeah. because that's not how the community is actually reacting to these things the majority of the time. Yeah. You get outside and you walk down the streets of our communities and it is not vitriol that right. you feel all the time. Right. And that's what you feel the re- reflected in your community when you're looking on Facebook. And by nature of the pulse being like our page on Facebook, it's we were becoming sort of the one reflecting that back. And and that's not accurate. Right. Uh, honestly. Um, and one other thing about those um, those the worst of those users, I, I probably attend as many or more meetings than almost all but a few people in the county um, forums, community forums, um, board meetings, plan commission meetings. Most of the I, I never those negative people, those people who complain about everything and and who are the loudest on social media. They're not the ones in those meetings taking part and trying to find the solutions and trying to fix things and trying to help their neighbors. Right. So they. I don't I don't want to bad mouth, but I'm like those people step up and do something versus um, continuing your social media troll um, lifestyle. Sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, alternatives to getting the news on your Facebook page. Uh, and some of them that we should go over really quick that are great are Pulse Picks, which is our daily email blast that we send up. You can subscribe to that if you haven't already at pulsepicks.com. That's mm-hmm. a really easy way to just jump in and get it. Uh, there's links on our Facebook page as well. So if you're coming off of that, uh, but you know, other things too, if you normally get your news online from us, check out the the print edition. I, 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 I think that I'm speaking correctly when I say that we write everything that we write for the print version first, right? Correct. That's where you're going to see things in their proper context with the beautiful layout designs that Ryan Miller does. You're going to see the artwork as it's intended to be seen, the the layout correctly. So so pick that up first. That's a great way to experience it right away. Uh, You're not going to get things breaking as as quickly because if something happens that's important for people to know right away, we're going to put it on the website first Mm -hmm. and then include it in the paper as well. Uh, But that's a great way to check it out um the podcast of course if this is your first episode that you're listening to you can subscribe and you'll get two episodes a week uh we try to keep things as timely as possible but we also talk about the big stories and add more context to them right Uh, we're limited being a newspaper in how much we can actually write about certain things and even just in general you can't always deliver everything that you want to say on the written page. Yep. So being able to sit down with you, Miles, and, and talk about these stories and get more context for them, I think, is another really uh, worthwhile way to engage with the news up here. Um, so those are just some of the things. The website is great. The website has our, our archives dating back almost a decade at this point. Uh, More than a decade, yeah. So there, there's plenty of stuff to check out on there. Uh, you can dig into the archives of the Door County Living Magazine on the website. So if if you primarily get your content from us on Facebook, there's a bunch of different avenues that you can explore. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure most people are kind of taking those different things in. I think it might just show you or push some people to some other directions sure. right now. And we're also on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, and then we have like the huge video component when including your show, The Door County Pulse, which gives people a great roundup of kind of all the things we're doing every single week. 
Yeah, uh, I started, well, we all kind of together wanted to create something that was uh, more casual and had a weekly format that was able to kind of add some levity and some brightness to stuff beginning in March and April when things were were very uncertain and scary. And so we set out to create this kind of weekly Pulse show. Uh, It's on our YouTube channel, which that's another great venue too. If you haven't explored our YouTube channel, uh, we've got a lot of cool content on there. We're trying our best to kind of really flesh that out. And there's a lot of content that you can already kind of dig into. So YouTube is a really great way to watch a bunch of stuff back to back. Uh, Facebook isn't necessarily a great way to do that, though our video content is on Facebook and our website as well. Uh, But our YouTube channel, I think, is just youtube.com slash Pulse. You can find links to it all over the place. I post links to it on our Facebook page. Um, But we we started doing this video show and we've been doing it every week. It started kind of as a like a clip show where we've been pulling other people's social media content from the community. And then as things have opened back up and people have gotten busy and back out into their businesses, uh, I have also went outside and started talking about different things in the community. And we're, we're starting to change the the format and get flexible. This week, we have some cool stuff. Uh, Sophie Nelson, who's been writing beer columns for The Pulse since February. Uh, if you listen to Wednesday's episode of the podcast. She was our guest for that. Uh, But we sat down and we talked about some of her brewing stuff that she's been doing or writing about in the pulse. Uh, So that's a really great segment. Uh, Talk a little bit more about food and some of the new like Mexican style places to eat up here that have just opened up uh, fat belly bowls and burritos, which I don't know if you've been to yet, but it's it's awesome. I've been there twice in a week. I I haven't gotten there yet, but I I do need to check it out. Yeah, it's great. It's right down the street from you. So you have no excuse not to stop in and grab something. Well, you know, what's funny about this show, too, is that it is something we've batted around for years. Really, Dave and Brett Kosmeyer batted it around probably a decade ago and and when Brett moved back up here, we thought like, all right, we're going to get this going. And it always takes a back burn, you know, because it's it's kind of a passion project more so. Like there is some advertising in it, not much. But like it was something Dave wanted to do from the beginning. And it took the the hit punch to the face of COVID to make us go, all right, what do we got to do to put some positivity out there? And also just put people to, you know, for a few weeks there, like everything was paused. So we had time and it almost it kind of made us go, OK, like what? What can we do with this time? And you and Brett created this show and you've just taken it and run with it. But it is interesting to see how how a, um, a crisis like COVID just kind of makes you, forces you to do this thing that you've wanted to do forever. Right. And even with the podcast for a while there, we were doing four, sometimes five episodes a week. Whereas before that, we were saying, how do we find time to do two? Right. How do we do it? in different locations, all this stuff, but we just had to figure stuff out and people needed information and news was breaking so fast that it just kind of forced us down that path. Right. Yeah. It's something that was kind of born out of necessity, but it's something that I've enjoyed doing and it's a flexible enough concept that we've been able to get creative with it and do different things with it. And we'll continue to do different things with it as it goes along. So uh, we usually release those on Thursdays. Um, So if you're listening to this, you can watch this week's episode already on our YouTube channel. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, So you can check that out and uh, we'll we'll kind of keep you updated on what to look forward to each week with that uh, as we go along. But it's been fun, and uh, it, it's something that kind of gets me outside and into the community and talking to folks again, which I sorely needed at the beginning of this because I did probably 14 weeks of just not talking to anybody <laughs> at all, staying inside my house. And then I was like, if I don't go outside and like breathe fresh air, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that that's, that's going to do it for the pulse side of stuff. Sure. Uh, but we do have some other 
new things to go about. Uh, we should talk a little bit about COVID-19. We haven't really done uh, a, a big update on it, even though there has been a lot of stuff going on, especially with, you know, the mask ordinance talk that was coming out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what What's the latest on the, the COVID-19 situation as it pertains to Door County? Well, the, the big thing to me this week is just watching how businesses are grappling with it when they get positive cases. Yesterday, we saw the Cornerstone pub in right here in Bailey's Harbor, our neighbors. Uh, they had a positive test. They announced that they were going to be closed until they could get uh, enough staff back with negative tests and, and clean the place and or staff that quarantined so they could reopen. Um, Sweetie Pies Bakery announced that they were going into quarantine waiting test results. This comes on the heels of Husby's Another motel up here also had a, a case and they have closed until August 9th. And so this week I've talked to Sue Powers at public, the public health manager, and I've talked to a lot of these business owners. And it's clear that there is some confusion in terms of what the protocol is. And there's mixed signals being sent out. So in the case of the Cornerstone, they had someone experience symptoms, go get tested and quarantine themselves right away. But they didn't get the test results back for eight days. And this goes back to something we've been talking about since the very beginning. Like if you don't have enough tests, then it puts everything in pause, puts businesses in a really tough situation. So they don't get the test results back for eight days. When it finally does come back, it's positive. Cornerstone says, all right, we're going to close. We're going to Husby. They they call it the Husby's protocol. Um, They said, well, Husby set the bar high and that's that's what we got to do and make sure everyone's safe because we need to keep this from spreading in the community. Well, public health says to them, well, you don't need to close. You only have, you know, we've... We've contact traced. Only two people came in close contact, and those people need to quarantine, but everyone else can go back to work. And yeah, that's nice to say, but like the reality of a restaurant is you're basically all talking to each other and you're all in, in each other's space almost the entire day, no matter what you try to do to distance. Like you can't work behind the bar with somebody without being in their space. You can't work in a kitchen with somebody and really socially distance unless you expand the size of most of these kitchens right. dramatically. So, um, a lot of these employees, even if they felt that they were healthy, they're also like, I don't want to be the one who spread it, who came back to work and got the got the all clear of like, well, you don't need to get a test because you weren't like right in this particular employee's face the whole time. So you're if you're an employer, you have a thin staff already. You're barely hanging on this summer because there's no J-1 visa workers. There's no, not summer help. You're you're just as busy, except you're. With the with less staff, you're trying to operate in a more complicated way, doing more to-go orders, which takes more time out of your kitchen. You're doing more cleaning all the time, more sanitation measures, and you're operating a dining room that now is mostly outside, which means every time you run food out, you've got to run a lot farther, which takes time and needs more employees. So you're doing all that with less staff. So now you take two employees away. Now what, I mean, that enough would be enough to strap people. But then if you have other staff who don't feel comfortable, even if you say, yeah, we're going to stay open, we're going to keep working, you're going to have some staff members who say, I'm not comfortable coming in yet because I don't, mainly because I don't want to infect somebody else. I still, I haven't gotten a negative result. I haven't quarantined yet. So it's really hard to say, yeah, you should just stay open until you really know the lay of the land. And each day that these businesses are closing could be three, four, five, ten thousand $10,000 a day for some of these restaurants. So there's... As long as that testing lag is there and as long as there's that lack of clarification, it's really hard for businesses to to handle it when they, when you get a positive result. 
Right. Well, and, and even before the positive result, the thing that I, that I think is, is the most challenging is say you've got somebody with symptoms, they go get a test and they don't get the results back for eight days. That's eight days that you could be, that you could have people spreading it still. Right. So it, well, right. Because they, if they went and got the test, they might like in this case, this person quarantined. So they stopped going to work. So that's, that's good. But like, you don't know if somebody else that they were in contact with before they started quarantining also is just carrying it around. That's right. where it comes into play. Yeah. Right. So then the the safest possible thing to do is when you have somebody with symptoms, go get a test. That's the date that you should close down until the results come back. But that just, it's not feasible when you've got an eight day turnaround on that. Yeah. If it was one day or a couple of hours, that might be better. Cause then it's like, okay, we have an employee who's sick. They're getting tested. We'll close tomorrow. And then when we get the result back, we'll know what to do. If it's negative, great. We'll open back up. If it's positive, then we can send everybody else out for a test and then maybe open back up in two days. Right. But that just, with the testing lag there, it becomes a thing where it's like you end up closing for eight days in order to see if you need to close for longer or not. And then beyond that, having people go down and get tests, if you've got somebody like at a restaurant who goes and gets a test and you want to close down and send your entire staff down there to get it, I don't know that that everybody gets it really easily, right? No, because, they don't because they're told right now in Door County, they're not testing asymptomatic people. So people are getting told that and then they're going to tell, all right, you got to you got to call now and you got to lie and say you have symptoms to go get a test. <laughs> right. Um, so, and, and two powers to say like public health is working with these restaurants. She said, I totally understand why people um, would want to test everybody. And it's not a bad thing. She's like not saying like they, sh they absolutely shouldn't like, yes, ideally they do. She's just saying by their interpretation and, and like you don't have to, but it's hard for a business owner to feel comfortable without doing that. Um, but yeah, if you can't get the test right away, some people are driving to Green Bay um, and sometimes people are driving to Green Bay and getting tested and they're getting a faster turnaround. They're getting a result in a day or two, whereas other people are getting tested. And when the labs are sent out, they're getting it in seven, eight, nine, ten 10 days. Um, that's really slowing things down. This goes, again, back to the root. I know um, Assemblyman Joel Kitchens has always told me testing, more tests don't do, do anything, but this is where that comes into play. It's not so much a even about tr tamping down the disease as keeping businesses open and afloat. Well, and here's my question too. I, I'm not 100% sure on the mechanisms, but say you get a phone call from public health and they say, hey, you've come in contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. Is the next step you should come get a test or is it the recommendation that you should quarantine for 14 days? Um, I, if you came in the way it was explained to me by Sue Powers, if you are considered a close contact, which means you were within six feet of somebody and probably in conversation with them for 15 minutes or more. And that means 15 minutes in one sitting or 15 minutes over the course of a day. So if I talk to you five minutes now and then five minutes in three hours and then five minutes an hour later, like that's 15. It's a, a cumulative effect of if this was a positive person, them spreading those droplets in, in your face kind of thing. Um, or if you were sharing a meal or sharing a, a drink with that person or hugging them, any any way you might have been in really close contact, then you were considered close contact and you would be told, the indication is you would be asked to get tested and then you would be asked to notify other contacts. If you're an employer and somebody tests positive, you don't necessarily get a call from public health. They don't call you and say, you've had an, a positive test result. Um, now, if you had multiple employees test positive, then they probably would is the way it's been explained to me. Now, if you are not a close contact, you might be told to watch for symptoms and 
potentially to get a test, but if you weren't in close contact, they're saying just watch for symptoms. If something arises, then let us know and, and go get a test. But otherwise, you in some cases, you're at this is the weird part. Even I don't know if you would be asked to quarantine or not because the restaurants were told that the uh, the restaurants I talked to were told that their their employees were told they could come back to work. I've talked to municipalities in which they said their employees were told to stay home if they were asymptomatic but um, had come in contact or were close. So it's there's some mixed messages there. Sue Powers did say that they are working on a toolkit for businesses to kind of clarify some of this information and give them stronger guides, especially knowing how the businesses feel. Like in Door County, the, the good thing for public health is that it's not a situation where businesses are, at least the ones I know of, are not looking for excuses to stay open. And it's they're looking for the best thing to do to, to not have an outbreak. In the case right. of the Cornerstone, Husby's, Sweetie Pies. And I, I have a lot of respect for them because they are, that's a lot of money <laughs> to, to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of doing the right thing. Right. Uh, I, I want to talk about some event stuff too, but do you have anything else to to mention about COVID-19 before we, we move on? Um, well, the good thing is even as cases slowly climb, they haven't started going like 10 a day and they haven't, the active case number is still pretty low. Uh, I think it was 17 as of this morning. Um, even though the numbers keep going up that we haven't seen the, the mass hospitalization. So in I think the community has done a good job and businesses have done a good job responding with more masking requirements and and taking it more seriously every day. I took a walk down the, down and back in Bailey's Harbor today and I actually, every single person I walked by was wearing a mask, which that's the first time that's happened anywhere in the county in my experience. Right. Yeah, and I, I will say even just in the limited amount of going out that I'm doing, I am seeing a lot more masks required signs mm -hmm. whereas before you would say you would see signs that say like please wear your mask now it's becoming a requirement at a lot of different businesses and, and i know that uh, a bunch of businesses were talked to for some articles last week uh, about how they've been dealing with that too because again without any sort of federal state or county support behind them in terms of a mask mandate it it is it is a rough thing for a business to have to try to 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 enforce, mm -hmm. um, especially early on. I feel like the tides have changed a lot, even in just the last week with Walmart requiring masks mm -hmm. uh, and seeing several other big businesses. It's interesting because I went to Walmart the other day and it, it seemed that the way that it had it had been, there were masks pretty much universally being worn. I didn't see anybody without one. Uh, but then in going to Target, because they haven't started their mask mandate, I believe, until next week or at the end of this week, uh, you're still seeing folks, you know, families together, parties together, walking around without masks on in there. So it... I, I feel like it's only a matter of time. You're still, of course, going to have people who don't want to wear their mask into your business. But once once you don't have that option anymore in these big retailers, I feel like that's going to be a pretty big sea change, mm -hmm. uh, especially Walmart. That seems like such a big one to, to require it sure. and to require it so early on. I am surprised that Target has, you know, delayed in this for as long as they have. But uh, I got a feeling by next week it, it's going to be even more pretty cohesive you're going to see right. mask usage pretty much across the board and i hope that that i hope that that's the case and i hope that people are uh are nicer to folks especially <laughs> uh businesses who are requiring masks because uh from the articles that i've read it hasn't been a lot of vitriol but it, it's some and that that some is always uh disappointing like yeah. it's always a bummer to have to deal with but um one, one last thing that I want to talk about kind of COVID related is uh, some event stuff. So Bailey's Harbor announced that they're canceling their events through September. Um, 
believe that includes like the food truck and floaties events, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the last kind of big one that we're all waiting to hear about the decision on is fall fest. And from what I understand, there was a meeting to kind of talk about deciding whether or not it's going on or not. What can you tell me about that? Well, um, so there's right now through August, most events in the County have been canceled including some of the concerts in the park. Now I have a couple more of those evenings and Ephraim canceled theirs. Um, in uh, speaking for the Peninsula Pacers, we have announced now that we will be canceling the Fall Challenge bike ride in September, and then the Hey Hey 5K run that we do in con- conjunction with Door County Brewing Company and Bailey's Harbor Autumn Fest. We have canceled that event. Um, Autumn Fest, they I think they announced their cancellation last week, and for us, for, speaking for myself, with uh, the Hey Hey 5K, where I'm the the race director. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem as much as you'd like to say this is an outdoor running event. People are spaced out and we can we can handle this well. We could have out volunteers and and in masks and do things safely. It just doesn't seem in a, in a time when um, everybody else is sacrificing so much and all these business owners are, are dealing with so much like for me, it it would seem a little selfish to put on that race <laughs> as much as I'd love to do it. But then a big selling point for that race is gathering a bunch of people at the finish line in a big crowd of three to 400 people and either in a confined space or inside the brewing company. It's just like, you know, when you put on an event like that, it's not like you have enough excess staff to control things and really monitor people. So um, that decision to, to cancel that, while a bummer, it's actually pretty easy. Um, but then you have a couple of big events. Obviously, Pumpkin Patch has already been canceled in Nag Harbor. Fall Fest, they will make the call. I, I think they've rescheduled their parks committee meeting for August 10th. And Dave Lenow, the village board chair in Sister Bay, says said that he anticipates that at that meeting, the parks committee will likely make the decision to cancel events through October in the village, which means, you know, Fall Fest technically is an SBAA, Sister Bay Advancement Association event. They rely on all these village uh, facilities and village cooperation to put that on. Um, so without that, it's unlikely that we're going to see a fall fest this year. Um, that doesn't mean a lot of people aren't going to come up here. <laughs> That's true. Cause even if you cancel it, you're going to have people coming up and going to sister Bay anyway, even if like probably you'll get people coming up, not knowing that it's canceled. Right? Uh, oh, absolutely. It's a tradition. Yep. And that's the concern that business owners have right now is, okay, we cancel. And actually at that meeting, like nobody was standing up saying, how dare you do this? Like most people were saying, even husbands folks were saying, this seems like the right thing to do given where we're at. Um, but then they all say also like they're going to come. So how are we supposed to handle the crowd? And that's the the next discussion. I don't have an answer for that. And I don't think anybody does yet, but that's the thing people will be talking about is what do we do when they come up here? Um, what if it's bad weather and you have 5,000 people in sister Bay instead of, you know, whatever the estimate you want to pick 10, 20, 30, whatever they want to say, come for fall fest but like now they're all going to want to go inside like how do you help these businesses manage that those kind of numbers right yeah it'll be interesting in in the next couple of weeks kind of leading up to it to see what decisions are made i know that a lot of events a lot of events most events were canceled outright some events were altered to 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 be a little different either including online portions or virtual portions or or just happening in reduced capacities and stuff like that you can't really do that with uh, an event like fall fest you can't really turn it into an online thing um, <laughs> yeah that's not going to work as well right i mean so. i guess you could have a 
I've done some Zoom happy hours. That'd be one heck of a <laughs> yeah, long happy just hour. 6,000 little um, squares on your monitor. One event that uh, will go on is the Fall 50. Yeah. Um, Sean Ryan has announced plans to continue with that event. Um, said he can socially distance it and um, protect the volunteers. And he, they've switched it from occurring on the at Sunset Park, which would have been impossible even without COVID because the water is so high that it's basically flooded that whole park. Right. Um, but he got permission to close the steel bridge for, I think, a six-hour stretch to serve as the finish line for the Fall 50. And then the post-race party would be in a parking lot of Sonny's Pizzeria under a tent. Um, I'm thinking there from Sean being that, hey, if I have a race, they're going to people are going to go party anyway. Let's do it where I can control it and at least try to maintain some distancing and mask wearing and things like that. Um, we'll see how that, that gets pulled off. That's a, it's a really fun event. Um, it's a tradition for tons of people who come back year after year. Uh, I, I wonder what the, what percentage of those people will decide to do it this year? I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that kind of proof of concept. Because like you were saying earlier, it seems like you could probably do a race well. You could do it safely. Um, it'll be interesting to see somebody actually attempt it. Um, and and hopefully everything goes well. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You don't want to see this fail uh, because that just means that people get sick and it's an unfortunate thing. But yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, like... If if he can show the way to do it, that's that's great. Because at the right now, we're still planning on trying to pull off a half marathon at the end of October. And hopefully, right. you know, if you read the science, most even most skeptical epidemiologists still say, like, you know, if we took this seriously for four to six weeks, we'd probably tamp this thing down. But maybe we can take some strides by then. Yeah. Uh, one last bit of Sister Bay news. Uh, we're talking about Fall Fest. Let's pivot. Uh, to something, another update for something that we talked about last week. So uh, an offer was made on Fred and Fuzzies, and the uh, the offer was contingent on them being able to rezone the property from commercial to residential because the the people who made the offer want to make or want to build a private home there. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week, and it it went to uh, be approved or denied, and it was denied. So the the zoning change was denied. Tell me a little bit about the lead up to this and, and where we're sitting now in terms of what the next steps might be. Sure. Well, the, the property has been on the market since 2018. And there was an offer by Lance and Bridget Crane who wanted to buy just the waterfront portions of it, which would be the waterfront portion of Little Sister Resort and Fred and Fuzzy's, the famous bar and grill down there on the water. And then they wanted to rezone those two parcels from commercial to residential, but then the upland portion of Little Sister Resort, which would still retain the liquor license, would be would remain commercial. The village historically has not approved requests to change commercial properties to residential. Uh, Denise Berto pointed out that only 7% of the village is actually zoned commercial, while 38% is zoned residential. And they've they've really tried to protect that little bit of a commercial that they have. So they've denied requests with the hotel door. There were people who wanted to develop that, but they wanted to develop it into like kind of condos or single family homes and then rent those as like Airbnbs or sell them off. The village denied that they wanted more activity. They wanted more transient lodging and um, people who were going to spend money throughout the village. Uh, there's been a couple other requests similar to that and they've said no to it. So what the three, it was denied by a 3-2 vote, and the three who voted to deny it all pointed to that precedent of saying, we haven't done this in the past. To do this now kind of opens up to scrutiny from those people we've denied before. 
So, and it also takes this commercial off the rolls. And there's a lot of sent like public sentiment um, to keep Fred and Fuzzies and keep it open to the public uh, or as a as a business anyway. A lot of people saying, well, we 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 more people deserve access to that beautiful spot. It shouldn't just be in the hands of one private landowner. Um, while traditionally I would might think that same way, like the village did just spend a million dollars on Pebble Beach. So that is a 600 foot long stretch of shoreline um, that they provide to the public. So that that particular argument doesn't hold as much water to me. Right. But. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I wanted to ask about, because it seemed like there was a lot of public sentiment about this, not just in terms of like, oh, I love this restaurant. It'll be sad to see it close. Uh, but people talking about that waterfront access. And it's not it's not quote unquote public waterfront access, right? Like you still have to go patronize Fred and Fuzzy as right. a little sister resort. So it's not like the, it's not like the village is selling off public waterfront yeah. to a, a private home. It's, it's not public. It is private as it is. In fact, you have to pay to, you know, enjoy it. Uh, so, so that was my big question of like, why is this something? Cause like say Al Johnson's uh, got an offer uh, for, to be turned into a home. I feel like people would be like, oh man, I love Al Johnson's. It's a Door County tradition. But I don't think that you'd see the same being like, no, I, the goats on the roof, like uh, that's such a great public thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, why is it different in the case of Fred and Fuzzies? Well, well, if, if it, to put that in context though, if somebody did buy Al's and want to turn it into a home, they'd absolutely say no, because that is a core commercial district. And the way zoning works is you try to encourage uses that you want in certain areas and so in that case that was that's always been commercial they want more commercial they'd, they'd hate to have what you'd call like a missing tooth or a, a dead zone in the walking traffic of a village right with just nothing but homes right there now you could also say that oh i don't love that kind of development because now we've lost that village feel where everybody lives downtown there's an argument the other way as well um at fred and fuzzies i think you're absolutely right like that that sense that people feel like they have a right to be able to go and essentially like I have a right to go and visit this business is kind of a weird way to look at it. Um, there was sentiment, especially from people who live on little sister road to support the rezoning because fun and fuzzies brings a ton of traffic down there. You know, at its peak, that might be 700 diners a day. That's a lot for a condensed, a small little road, um, to handle. Now, and so that makes life a little inconvenient for all those other people and a lot louder and noisier. Um, on the flip side, Little Sister started as like the, that was the first Sister Bay settlement until I think, I can't remember if it was typhoid or some sort of um, early disease in the mid 1800s ripped through that town and basically killed everyone. That's why there's a cemetery there. <laughs> but um, that's the original settlement. That was a business district from the very start. And then Little Sister Resort is one of the oldest um, buildings like that complex of buildings, one of the oldest buildings down there. Um, so that it's 102 years old. So most of the people who have homes down there bought them after knowing the resort was there. Um, Fred and Fuzzy has only been there about 20 years. So there's all sorts of complications in terms of like, well, what is this meant to be? And it's, well, this is what it was, but you could argue that by putting a, let's say nothing ever existed there. And then somebody said, I want to build a 27 unit resort and bar and grill out on on the edge of Pebble Beach. What would everybody say? They'd be going nuts about it. Right. They'd think it was the worst thing ever and it was exploiting the waterfront. Now, since that was already there before it was public, people are saying, oh, you can't take that away. We always loved going there. So it's uh, you could make the argument that a residential home there, even if it's large, would be 
a better compliment. But on the flip side, you could also say, okay, a, a, a fair, a really large home, just like looking down on Pebble Beach, maybe that isn't what we bought that for. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting arguments. Most of them being pretty sentimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it it's interesting that they took the stance of like no precedent. We're just going to argue precedent on this one because that's probably the most clear thing to argue in this yes. case. And and, I, and I'm guessing there is a a reason for that. You know, because the village, the appeals process in this is. It's not like the county where you go, if you get denied a permit, then you can appeal to the Board of Adjustment and it's a quasi-judicial proceeding down at the county board. In this case, plan commission says no. I talked to attorney Randy Nesbitt, like what happens now? Does it go to the board? Can they appeal somewhere? He said, well, the appeal is a lawsuit. Yeah. So, and that's happened before in these kind of cases. Um, so I think the that's why they stuck to precedent so much because it essentially what Randy Nesbitt said that this would be a tough lawsuit to bring because you're essentially asking, it's not like a permit where you're saying, well, you denied my permit and that was, you unlawfully denied this permit to do something. This is one where you're going, I'm looking to buy this home and it's zone commercial. I know that when I go into it, I'm asking you to do me a favor and rezone it. So to sue them, you'd be like suing, like trying to force the village to write new rules to rezone it for you specifically. Right. So. And as if there there wasn't enough to talk about it, about this story, as if there wasn't enough meat in this story, there are other offers on Fred and Fuzzies as well, right? Yeah, there are there are at least two secondary offers that came in after this one was accepted, so this one took precedent. I don't know exactly how this shakes out, what what the owners will look to do with it, um, but there is another offer from at least one pu- person who has gone public with their offer who would seek to keep it a resort keep Fred and Fuzzies. Um, in their words, they would aim to like kind of raise the the standard for some of it and add some amenities and and use more of the property and but not but basically keep it as this old school resort feel. Um what some people involved in the property have argued is that like you can't pay the price you need to pay. You can't pay the price they're asking and get the return by doing what they're doing. If that it's clear how I said that. Like basically they're saying like you can't make enough money doing this to pay what we're asking. Right. So they wouldn't be able to buy it because they wouldn't be able to recoup the cost. Yes. It's more expensive to buy it than it than it is profitable. Right. At least that's what's been said. Now, people do that all the time. People overpay for stuff and they think their dream or their idea will work better. And that often works. But that's just the argument been have that's been made in the past here. Right. So I was going to say that, you know, with with the only like round of appeals being a lawsuit for this, that in so many of these things that we talk about, it's always like, well, we'll see what happens next. They can always take it to this. The story's far from over. But in this case, the story is kind of over, if not for those other offers. Right. Because now we could see in a couple weeks or a month talking about like, hey, a new offer is in on Fred and Fuzzies. And, you know, what's going to happen in that way? What do you foresee the future of this story being? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I, I really... I don't know. I know one of the op- other op- offers is for the entire property. So I think that changes the game a little bit because this offer was for part of it, which would leave the owners trying to figure out what to do with the upland parcel. Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm someone who's close to retirement and looking to sell out to retire, I'd just as soon wash my hands of the whole property versus part of it. Um, but I I think you're, you might see some frantic attempts to raise some funds <laughs> to... Um, support one of these offers depending I, i'm i'm really curious what the third one is I've, I've heard some things but nothing i can report um the the other offer from doug forrest and Catherine holtz i can report because I've, I've 
talked to them and they've been open about what they're trying to do. Uh, they are the ones who are looking to keep it as a resort and, and upgrade everything and um, add to the amenities there. It's obviously it's a prime parcel. And one interesting part of it is a lot of people are afraid that it'll get turned into condos. To, to make condos, you also would need to rezone it. Um, condos would not, that would be residential. So that would not fall under a commercial use. So, so it would be the same. It would be the same thing here, and I think it would probably be an even quicker turnaround because we've just had this precedent. Yeah, I, I think if someone came, I, I think someone would be based on what happened at the meeting last night. You'd have to be pretty stubborn to come forward with a rezoning request right now. Right, Miles. I, I think that that's probably going to do it for us. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about this week that people should know about before we wrap up? I think we covered everything that's that's important in Door County right now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out DoorCountyPulse.com/shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.